Our first Bible reading today is from Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
Thanks to Carmel. Friends, uh, how our preaching normally works here is normally we preach, uh, how we would describe it is exegetically, that is, uh, we would take a passage of the Bible and work through a passage carefully to ensure that we understand what God's saying to us uh, uh, in context and so on and so forth. Uh, This series is a bit different. This is not an exegetical series where we work through Jonah, for example, like we've just done, but rather this is a topical series where we're looking at a theme across the Bible. That being the case, it's not really as simple as just keeping your Bible open in one text. So because that's the case, uh, all the passages today will come up on the screen, uh, and I hope that's a help for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great kindness to us in Jesus. As we now think about gift-giving in this season, as we come into Christmas, Father, we ask that you will mould us and change us and shape us to think more like your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1998, uh, coming up to 15 years ago now, which seems remarkable, uh, I lived in India in a town called Pune, outside uh, Bombay at the time, but um, Mumbai today, Mumbai today. I I lived in Pune for six months. I have to say it was an experience that stayed with me. Uh, The population of people around me, the food, different to what I was used to, and the ministry opportunities Uh, for I was there on a short-term mission. It really was life-changing and one of the things that led me into going into full-time ministry. But one thing that really did stay with me, one thing that really affected me, was the poverty in India. Uh, I had never seen so many without access to so much. Certainly not everyone. There were more millionaires in India, dollar for dollar, than there were in the US. But certainly the majority. And as someone who had grown, off, grown up in the well-off, materially rich, poverty-scarce or seemingly poverty-scarce city of Sydney, it was very confronting. By Christmas 1998, I was home and my reverse culture shock was just about to begin. Let me explain to you Christmas in the Stedman household. Uh, I come from a very large family. Uh, this is our last family photo. Uh, this is our immediate family. There's been another four children born since then. So there's mum and dad plus six of us kids who are all married and between us we've had another 21 kids. So getting us all together on Christmas Day is hard for a few reasons. Uh, I'm a minister, which means I need to work. My brother's a minister, that means he needs to work. My brother-in-law is a minister, so three of us are ministers, so we need to work. But it's also hard because trying to coordinate seven families to having these double lunches or these lunch-dinner combos across the city of Sydney on Christmas Day, it is almost a statistical impossibility to pull it off. So about ten years ago, Mum said to us all, Christmas Day is cancelled. Go to your responsibilities, be they professional or familial. But Boxing Day is ours. So every Boxing Day, 35 of us or a few more get together at Mum and and Dad's. It is a complete circus. Uh, I love it, but a circus it is. Just ask Bree. It's a single, you know, she's the only child in her family. So, whole new world for her. Now, Now, this is how it works for presents. Everyone buys for everyone. So, Bree and I would buy for my sister Jenny and her husband Paul, and then for their children, Eliza, Madeline, Ruby and Zach. And then Bree and I would buy for my sister Lib and her husband John and for their kids, Grace, Jesse, Sarah, Oliver and Pete. And then we'd buy for my sister Sarah and Jace and their six kids and on and on and on. All up, we would buy 29 different presents. But so would they. And so under this poor tree that was just heaving, 
would be a literal mountain, more than 175 presents, and it was the largest pile of cheap imported plastic and refined sugar <laughs> that you have ever seen. Familiar? And I have to say, coming back from India, with its people so needing of food and shelter, I found Christmas Day 1998 and 1999 and 2000 really difficult. And it was all crystallised for me in one moment, where I remember after all our present opening, which goes for about four hours, there was one particular child, and it could have been mine or someone else's, they blend on, on Boxing Day. <laughs> but this child turned to their parent and said, I didn't get anything I wanted. And it was breathtakingly ugly. Until I realised that I'd been complicit in it as the provider of half of this junk. I remember thinking then, we need to think differently about Christmas, and I can say that my family has started to think differently. But ever since then, whenever I've spoken uh, about gifts at Christmas, I've focused in on the dangers of materialism, uh, the trappings of feeding the material gratification of our age and of our place by giving one another more and more things we do not need, more and more things that we do not really want, actually, a few days after we've received them. Which is absolutely true, isn't it? The danger is real. So today what I was going to show you in my sermon was Jesus' warning about the greed of wealth from Luke 12 where a farmer sows crops uh, and the crops are so bountiful that he builds bigger and bigger barns. And then I was going to point us to Proverbs 30 where the author leaves us with this wonderful proverb, it's on the screen, where he says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. It's a call from Proverbs 30 for God to give us never more than we need because when that happens, our excess replaces our need for God. Let me tell you, it was going to be a great sermon, what I was going to preach to you today. But then I read an article uh, during the week written by a guy called Kevin DeYoung. Now, some of you will know Kevin DeYoung. He's a uh, minister at the University Reformed Church in Michigan. He writes for the Gospel Coalition And he wrote an article, which I read this week. Uh, It's meant to be humorous, so stay with me. Tis the season to be jolly. And tis the season for Christians to be mad in the midst of so much mirth. Do you or your kids like Santa? Get rid of him. Pronto. He's fake. He's not the point. He's obese. And his name is an anagram for Satan. Do you buy toys for your kids? Stop it. They don't need it. Are you into Christmas trees? So are the pagans. Forget about it. Happy holidays? Not in my face you don't. Merry flippin' Christmas, Walmart greeter. (laughs) Do your parents spend too much on the grandchildren? Shame them for not buying them a cow in your name. Now, don't get me wrong, the article continues, there are plenty of helpful ways we can make Christmas less crazy and lots of practical tips for putting Christ back in Christmas. But glaring at the happy who's down in Whoville is not one of them. As Christians, we have more to celebrate than anyone. We don't need to lock up Donna and Blitzen to show that Christ is preeminent. Just like C.S. Lewis didn't have to shut out Father Christmas from Narnia to make Aslan great. 
If you can't stand one more minute on Amazon or one more Barbie or one more mention of Zuzu Pets, feel free to keep out all the noise, the noise, the noise. But don't furrow your ardent brow at your brothers and sisters with all the lights, all the sweets, all the nostalgia, all the campy cartoons and all the presents under the tree. They will probably be at the Christmas Eve service too. They'll probably give to the Christmas offering. They will probably sing hymns and carols around the tree. They probably haven't forgotten Jesus. American article. I don't agree with all of it. But I have to say the article made me rethink for the first time in a long time what I wanted to say about gifts. See, this was going to be a sermon about the dangers of materialism. As I said, a very real danger. But for the first time in a long time, I'm going to stray from the theme to talk about a different aspect to gift giving. I want to talk to you today about how to give gifts well at Christmas. How to give gifts well. And let me start by saying straight away, some of you are going to be thinking, oh wow, this is going to be good. And that's because some of you are right into gift giving. You love giving gifts because that's how you're wired. You're also the same sort of person who feels deeply cherished when you receive a gift. But there are others sitting here right now saying, a sermon on how to give gifts well? Give me a break. Well, are you serious? And that's because the giving and receiving of gifts, it just doesn't do it for you. Nice to get a gift, okay to give one, but it's not a big deal either way. I've got to admit, I'm in the latter category. But to those of you like me here today, I want to say this. The giving of gifts should be a bigger deal for us. And here's why. Giving gifts is actually not about the transference of material items between two interested parties. Now, technically, that might be what giving gifts is, but that is not what it's about. Let me show you why, or or demonstrate it. I presume that Christmas in your house last year was fabulous, wonderful. Not perfect, but great. But ask your kids what you gave them, and they will need to think. They may not even know what it was. They'll get mixed up with the year before, or their birthday, or something else. Why is that? Because what made Christmas great was not the transference of material items but the relationships behind them. Gift-giving is all about relationships. You see, giving gifts is a non-verbal way we can communicate to someone something very special. Gifts ultimately aren't about money or obligation or exchange. They are about expression. Now, someone else who was reading on this has recognised that when we give gifts, there's at least six different messages that can go with those gifts. There's probably much more than that, but have a listen to these six. So a gift that fulfils a need of some sort, okay, a gift that fulfils a need of some sort says, I notice and care about you. Now, think about that. No one gets excited about socks and undies, but that's what it communicates. I notice and care about you, even in the smallest and most boring details. A gift that is a complete surprise says, I know what you need, even if you didn't know you needed it. It's the fact that someone has considered you enough to know what you'd love, even though you hadn't thought of that thing yourself. A gift that makes someone feel special says, I know you and I know just what you love. They're those gifts where you know someone has sat down and really considered uh, your unique traits, what makes you you, and they've just wanted to celebrate that and bring that out. A gift that makes life more enjoyable says, I rejoice in seeing you enjoy life. 
Now, these might be the gifts that are more about experiences than material things, you know, a meal or a weekend away, an inflatable pool for the kids. These gifts are often an investment in relationships, which is an investment in life. A gift that can be enjoyed for years to come says, I want to bless you with future joy. Now, often this is the giving of something that becomes precious uh, because of the memories or the sentiments that are attached to it. It could be jewellery or a framed photo or art. And finally, a gift that comes with great personal cost or sacrifice, such as time or energy or money, says, I love you more than I love myself. And that's because that's the gift that someone has sweated over, maybe even literally, for you. It's the gift that for months money has been saved. It's the cubby house that's been built over the four weekends of December. It communicates to someone, you're so special to me that I will forego my comfort, my quality of life, to see you flourish. Did you ever realise that gifts can communicate such different things? Now, here's the question for us all. What on earth has that got to do with Jesus? (laughs) What on earth has this got to do with Jesus? I mean, this series is uncommon sense for the silly season and everything I've just said so far really just sounds like common sense for the silly season. Well, here's the thing. As humans, we actually can't talk about giving gifts without first understanding that all our gift giving is but a reflection of God's. All of it. You see, God is the gift giver. Think about this. He created a world and then he created a people and he gifted the world to the people they had free reign over it he then gave people food and water and clothing and shelter he then gave people relationships and marriage and sex and children he then gave people song and art and beauty and delight he then gave people wisdom and insight and intelligence and comprehension our god is a wonderful gift giver but more than that God then gave us another gift, another present, which he wrapped for us in skin. And he gave to us for life. His only son, Jesus. Jesus is God's greatest gift to us, beginning to end. And just before I said that giving gifts is all about relationships, it's not this transfer of material items between two parties, So is the gift of Jesus. That's what he's about. You want to know what Norwest is about? You want to know what the Bible's about? You want to know what Christianity is about? Is it about relationship with Jesus? Not church attendance, not mere morality. But I also mentioned that our gift giving can communicate at least six different things. And here's the thing. Jesus actually fulfills every one of them. See, at our best, our gift-giving is always and only a reflection of what God has first given to us in his Son. So let's think again about those six areas. first one was this. A gift that fulfills a need of some sort says, I notice and care about you, right? Jesus is the gift that truly says, I notice you and I care about you. So when the Apostle Paul writes to persecuted churches to remind them of the sovereignty of God in the midst of their struggles, which were significant struggles, uh, he says this on the screen, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When Jesus is speaking about how much he loves people, he draws the distinction between sparrows, two-cent birds, and us. He says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What a gift. A gift that's a complete surprise says, I know what you need, even if you didn't know you needed it. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the gift who says to us, I know what you need, even when you didn't know you needed it. So when Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he's describing to them in chapter 5 how God has come to rescue his people. And he's describing how God saving people is never about us being worthy or deserving or even attractive to God. In fact, Paul describes us, before we come to know Jesus, uh, with uh, these descriptors, these words, powerless, ungodly. And then he finishes his argument with this wonderful sentence, which many of you will know, it's on the screen. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that's Jesus saying, I know what you need, even when you didn't know what you needed. What a gift. A gift that makes a person feel special says, I know you and I know what you love. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the gift who says to us that we are fully known and fully loved. So Psalm 139 describes God's people before they're born. Listen to what it says. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows you more deeply than you know yourself. And then at the start of John 13, John starts to describe what's going to happen to Jesus as he heads to the cross. And he says this. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Listen to this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loves us so much that at the cross he shows us how loved we are. Now that is a gift that makes you feel special. What a gift. A gift that makes life more enjoyable says, I rejoice to see you enjoying life. Jesus is the gift that makes life more enjoyable, or to put it differently, Jesus is the gift that makes life joy-filled. Joy. Not this happy, happy, clappy, clappy rubbish, but that deep sense within us that all is well, even when circumstances cry the opposite. Jesus brings that. In John 10, Jesus speaks to a crowd about him, and he speaks to them about how to know life, to really have life, they've got to know him. He says it over and over and over. It's about me, it's about me, it's about me. He finishes by saying this. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. And have it to the full. You see, inflatable pools are grace until they deflate. But they are a gift that reminds us of what true joy in relationships is. And they point us to Jesus, the one who brings life. A gift that can be enjoyed for years to come says, I want to bless you with future joy. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the gift who brings future joy. And you'll find that across the whole Bible. But perhaps the best picture of it is the last picture of it in Revelation 21. The Apostle John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death 
or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus is the only gift who can give you a future joy that is unshakable. He is the only one who will bring to pass a time and a place where the travails and the pains and the battles here are quietened and silenced. Where not a single tear will roll down a single cheek. Jesus brings that. What a gift. And finally, a gift comes with great personal cost or sacrifice of some sort. Time, energy or money says... I love you more than I love myself. Now, you do see where this one's going, right? What is the sacrificial gift written large across the pages of history that cries out, I love you more than I love myself? It is the gift that Jesus himself describes in John 15 like this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It is Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross where he took your place, where he took your penalty because you hated God. But he loved you. What a gift. What a gift. And here's the thing. Every gift you give Every gift you give is an opportunity to redirect your loved one's eyes away from you and even away from the gift to the gift, to the one true gift that everyone needs to receive, to Jesus the Christ, who doesn't wear down or break down or get a hole or lose a part or leak a battery. No, Jesus, who continues to grow increasingly dear, with every passing year. Like a treasure chest with more jewels to find, more riches to have, more delights to uncover. That's what gift giving's about. Can I say that as a father of four children, I know that what I just said really sounds wonderful, but completely unrealistic. Because how do we do this? How, how do we bring this to pass for our families? And that's the hard part because I don't know about your children, but let me tell you a bit about mine. No child in my family on Christmas morning, when they have that maniacal look in their eyes as they rip through their presents, no child in my family is in the zone to see how this remote-controlled thing shows Jesus' love to them. Oh, sweetheart, this truck, it's a bit like, you know, Jesus sort of did. <laughs> no, it's rubbish, right? It doesn't work. So let me finish by leaving you with three things that will help you make this work, okay? Number one. When it comes to helping our kids understand that the gift of Jesus, sorry, the gifts around the tree reflect the gift of Jesus, It has almost nothing to do with what you do on Christmas Day and everything to do with what you do before. Okay? Helping your kids see that it's all about Jesus has almost nothing to do with what you do on Christmas Day and everything to do with what you do before. Now, there's a thousand ways that you can ensure this happens, but one way of doing this might be to take advantage 
of our North Anglican's uh, new family Advent guide, reading guide, that we're going to be handing out in two weeks, which will help you and guide you as a family to spend every day of December thinking about Jesus with your children. Now, my guess is that you read your Bible with your kids any, every day in any case, but we hope that this will be a more focused way of doing that through December. That will be coming out in two weeks. First thing to keep in mind, doesn't matter what you do on Christmas Day, it all counts what you do before. Second thing, try to break the connection that exists in our secular Christmas culture that gifts come to those that deserve them. Because that is what the jolly fat man in the big red suit does, right? He's coming to find out who's naughty or nice, lolly or coal. Coal's all right. Well, the jolly fat man can have the good kids. Tell your kids that Jesus is coming for the rest of us. And then when you are out buying presents or food for Christmas with your children there, buy a present in front of them for someone undeserving, outside your family, someone you don't know. That will speak very powerfully to your children. Number three, finally, have a think about this. Understand that the family traditions that you build are much more powerful than gifts you give. Or let me put it another way. Start to see family traditions as a form of gift to your family. Because they will be the things that your children remember, love and long to replicate and centre them around Jesus. Be it putting up the nativity scene together, be it driving around and looking at Christmas lights, but really looking at the ones that share the gospel. Be it coming to carols on the green here each year with the rest of our church family who are sitting around us enjoying the warm weather, watching our kids throw glow sticks and nearly kill each other, but having a great time just being part of God's family as we sing songs of praise to our great God for sending his son into the world. You see, they are the things that will last much longer and sink much deeper and teach much richer things to our children. And what you need to learn and what I need to learn is how we cherish the gift that is Christ. Because as we do that, our children will read that. We need to learn it and we need to teach it to our children We need to let our kids know that Zuzu pets are great. But Jesus is better. And we need to find a way to help our children see that every good gift is a sign, a pointer, a gift, a reflection of the remarkable gift of Jesus. Jesus, who doesn't make us feel cherished for a day or a week, but for a lifetime and an eternity. and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we want to thank you for Jesus, your Son, our Lord and Saviour, who we neglect and often forget and take for granted. Will you forgive us for treating someone so precious like they are not. 
Will you sear in our hearts Christ's preeminence? And may that then flow into our lives, families and Christmases. May every good gift that we give be but a reflection of your amazing gift to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.